Friends, Christ is risen from the dead, trampling down death by death. And to those within the tomb, he is restoring life. Alleluia, 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 Christ is risen. Fantastic. Let's read the Bible. Please be seated. Reading from Corinthians chapter 3, 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran out and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. The Gospel of the Lord. 
Almighty Father, it is one of the remarkable, uh, mysterious, uh, surprising aspects of your story that you meet us uh, not always and not perhaps primarily just in the moments of, of great joy, but you rather you seek us, you meet us. Uh, in the place of darkness, in the place of difficulty, in the place of distress, in the place where it seems, where we would expect that we won't find you. But yet that is precisely where you come and find us. And you found Mary. And Father, we ask that you will meet each one of us now. Come and seek us. Um, you know us better than we know ourselves. You know each of us better than we know ourselves. So um, will you seek us in the particular way that we need to be sought? Make yourself plain. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please sit down. And it's uh, really, really helpful if you keep uh, the uh, service sheet open to page uh, seven and eight, mainly eight. Uh, that second aspect, uh, part of that reading. Uh, but first, um, uh, because we, we just don't get tired of doing it, um, Christ is risen from the dead, trampling down death by death. And to those within the tomb, he is restoring life. Alleluia, 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 Christ is risen. Man, I just love saying that. Can you hear the joy that is woven into that acclamation? Um, uh, even, even if it's not an acclamation that you particularly identify with yourself in terms of your faith, um, you can undoubtedly, I expect, hear the joy that is woven into that. And uh, one of the things that you need to know about that joy that's woven into that acclamation is that uh, it's an ancient joy. Uh, but it's not the kind of ancient that just kind of disappears in the far distant memory, and we don't really know where it started. It's a joy uh, with a very specific date attached to it. Uh, it's 2,000-year-old joy. What I mean is that the joy that's woven into that acclamation is a joy that erupted like a volcanic eruption on the day that Jesus rose from the dead, the first Easter if you will. And it was an unprecedented joy. It was a joy that, that had a character that was unlike anything that had come before it. But not only was it an unprecedented joy, it was a remarkably resilient joy. And what I mean by that is that over the last 2,000 years, since the day that Jesus rose from the dead, people from widely divergent cultures, people from uh, widely divergent historical eras, people from widely divergent uh, social locations within the various societies have all experienced the joy that's woven into that acclamation and have found it to be the unexpected but perfect fulfillment to their deepest desires. It's an unprecedented joy. It's a resilient joy. And that brings up a question for me. And the question is, why? 
In what way was it unprecedented? And in what way was it resilient? Why was it resilient? And that question, what is, what, what is so resilient about that uh, joy, about Jesus rising from the dead, um, that's going to lead us into that reading we just had. But before we go there, uh, it also leads us into baptism. Because as you can see here, there's a pool. Uh, all morning long, I had to keep Clint from, from doing cannonballs into the... But I, I tried. But um, So we're, we're going to do baptism. And, and the thing is, you can't really understand baptism until you understand resurrection joy, because they go together. So what explains the joy of Easter? And, and here it is. I'm, I'm just going to say it really briefly, and then I'm going to show it. Uh, Easter joy is the joy of adoption. Let me explain what I mean. Take a look at the reading. Look at verse 11. So start, uh, it's on page eight, right at the top of page eight, that little number 11. Um, and I want to introduce you to uh, somebody called Mary Magdalene. You may have heard of her. Uh, Mary Magdalene is standing outside Jesus's tomb. Jesus has been uh, dead for a couple days. And Mary is weeping. Uh, now, the, a lot of people were absolutely devastated by Jesus's death. Um, but I don't know anyone who felt the darkness as acutely as Mary Magdalene did. Uh, now, just for context, this is not Mary, Jesus's mother. This Mary uh, was from a town in Galilee called Magdala. You can go there today. Uh, and this Mary, whom we call Mary Magdalene, had a very dark past. Uh, tradition, this isn't in the Bible, but tradition says uh, that she had a past uh, as a sex worker. Uh, we, we can't verify that for certain. But what the Bible does tell us is that when she met Jesus some years before this moment, when she met Jesus, Jesus had to drive seven demons out of her. Now, I don't know what comes up, to your, uh, comes up for you when you think about demons, but, but just consider this. In that culture, the number seven was a way of describing all of it, full, total. So like uh, seven days is a full week. To say that there's seven demons is to say um, whatever was going on in detail in Mary's life, she was, uh, her experience was saturated with a kind of brokenness or despair or hopelessness or darkness, and it wasn't something she could resolve. And then Jesus showed up, and, and Jesus did this for a lot of people, but but Jesus showed up, and Jesus was like the bright disruptor of her darkness. Um, Jesus uh, kicked the seven demons out. We don't know all the details, but we do know that after that happened, everything was different for Mary. Everything was different for Mary. And understandably, she, she joined the team, like full on, you know? I mean, she, was, uh, she, she followed along with Jesus for a long time. And she was right in there as one of Jesus' disciples, along with the 12 that are more famous. And she saw Jesus do many, many things and repeat what, she had, what he had done in her. He saw, she saw him do in others, and then Jesus got arrested. And then Jesus got put on trial. And then Jesus was condemned to death. And that was the moment when a lot of the other disciples, in fact, most of the other disciples, specifically the men, uh, 
abandoned Jesus. They, they, they were out, but not Mary. Um, Jesus was the only light she ever knew. She, she wasn't going to give up on him. And so she stayed with him. She stayed with him through the whole hellish scene. She stayed with him through his torture. She stayed with him through the crucifixion. She was there. She was there. And then Jesus died. But you have to understand that when Jesus died, Mary's hope died too. And her light was snuffed out when Jesus died because Jesus was the light that she knew. And it, it's an unimaginable, well, I want to say it's an unimaginable darkness, but it might be a darkness you've experienced. Well, that was Friday. And now it's Sunday morning. And she goes to the tomb because she wants to care for his body. They, they didn't have enough time to, to honor his body. So she shows up to embalm him, to, to, to grieve. And the tomb door is open and the body is gone. And you can imagine just the, the desperation. Are you kidding me? They torture him, but that's not enough. It's as if Mary says, I don't even get the comfort of caring for his body. And she, so she stands at the tomb and she's weeping because my light has been snuffed out. It's as if she says, there's no way to make this okay. The darkness is coming back. When will the demons return? Now, pause right there and, and let me point something out. Um, none of Jesus' disciples thought Jesus was going to die. Um, a dead Messiah is a failed Messiah in their thinking. And that was, everybody thought that. And once Jesus died, everybody knew that's the end. That's the end. Don't you know that that's the end? I mean, that nobody expected him to rise from the dead. And if you're, if you're one of the, if, you know, if, if you're, uh, uh, if you find it difficult to believe that Jesus physically rose from the dead, I mean, you're in great company because none of Jesus's disciples expected him to rise from the dead because just like all of us, they knew that when death happens, it's the end. But there's something that the disciples uh, didn't understand. Um, verse 9 on the, on the previous page, it says that they did not yet understand the scriptures. And, and part of what that means is that the disciples did not understand that Jesus' suffering and death was part of a very unique plan. Maybe you could think of it a little bit like this. Think about an adoption process. Anybody in your family ever been adopted? Maybe you're adopted. Um, adoption processes are, are often very long and, and, and arduous. And part of the reason they're long and arduous is for a very good reason. There, there needs to be important obstacles, legal obstacles to overcome in order for the adoption to proceed. And there's very good reasons why that's the case. Well, in the big story of the Bible, uh, one of the themes is that God resolves to adopt people, people like you and me, into his family, but just like any adoption process, there's a long, an arduous process, and there are obstacles that need to be overcome, except the obstacles that God needs to overcome in order to adopt us are more formidable than any other kind of adoption process, because here's why God, uh, in order to adopt us, he has to overcome evil. 
all kinds of evil. He, he has to overcome things like injustice and corruption, uh, abuse, wickedness of every sort. He has to overcome the, the evil of uh, the evil that's been perpetrated against us, and he has to overcome the evil that we have perpetrated towards others because we have, haven't we? And he has to overcome the guilt that separates us from him. And he has to overcome the, the orientation of our hearts that means we have an instinct to run from God rather than towards God. In order to, for God to adopt us, he has to overcome all these obstacles. He has to overcome evil. But he couldn't overcome evil by just keeping a safe distance. And, and this is the part the disciples didn't understand, and it's the most mysterious part of the whole thing. God resolved to adopt us, and he arranged that adoption, and he went to battle against evil by becoming one of us, a human being in the person of Jesus Christ. And as, a, as Jesus Christ, in the person of Jesus Christ, he suffered the full weight of evil. He went into the darkness, right into the midst of the hell of our darkness. And through suffering and through Jesus's death, he defeated evil. Now, how? How does that work? The death of Jesus and how it defeated evil is a mysterious concept. And though we know a lot about it, its ultimate realities are beyond our ability to fully comprehend. But consider this, sometimes when there's a mysterious reality, sometimes the best way to understand it is to look at the difference it makes, to look at the effect that it has. Uh, for instance, um, I don't know anything about science. And, um, and, and I don't know anything about gravity. I don't understand how gravity works. I don't know why things fall when you drop them. Maybe you do. Explain it to me later. But I do know its effects. I know that if I drop things, they fall, like, a, a lot of the time. And therefore, because of the effects that I observe, I know that gravity is a real thing, even though I don't understand it directly. And that's how we think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because when Jesus rose from the dead, this unprecedented event, this event that everybody knows can't happen except that it did, when Jesus rose from the dead, it proved it was the effect that demonstrated that his death the three days before that had done something remarkable. It had accomplished something. It had completed the arrangements required for our adoption. See, Mary had good reason to weep at Jesus's tomb, but what she did not yet understand was that the darkness she feared had already been defeated by the Lord she was grieving. And that means that joy was just ready to burst out. Go back to Mary. She's in the garden. She's weeping in the tomb. She looks into the tomb and she sees two angels but it doesn't register. And then she turns around and she actually sees Jesus, but it doesn't register. She doesn't recognize him. Do you see this? Until Jesus, is, Jesus says one word. He says, you know what it is? Everybody say it together. He says, Mary. And she knew that voice because that was the voice that had driven the demons out. 
And that was the voice whose teachings had shown light into her life. She recognized that voice. But it wasn't just that she recognized the voice. It was that she heard Jesus's voice calling out her name. Is that important? Yes. Why? Well, when you call somebody by name, it means that you're known. When somebody calls you by name, it means that you're known, doesn't it? It means that you're noticed. It means that you're not invisible. It means that you're valued. It means that you're particularly valued. And with one word, Mary, Jesus was shining light into the midst of her darkness. It was as if Jesus was saying, Mary, the darkness isn't going to win in your life. It was as if he was saying, Mary, I defeated evil. I defeated all the darkness that can really threaten you forever, Mary, and I name you, Mary, as a beneficiary of the victory I have achieved. And that's the moment when Jesus announces her adoption. Look at verse 17. Jesus says, Mary, I want you to go and I want you to talk to my brothers. Note that Jesus calls the disciples brothers. I hasten on. Go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and everybody together, your father, to my God and to your God. Jesus says, Mary, I know you by name. And as of right now, my father is now your father. The adoption is complete. It's as if Jesus is saying, Mary, whatever else you may have once been, that is not who you are now. Your deepest identity is being transformed because Jesus says, I'm risen from the dead. And that means that you are now a daughter of God. And God calls you by name into that joy. See, when Jesus called Mary by name, she discovered that she was known. And when Jesus called God her father, she found out that she could know God back. And that she could know God freely, joyfully, boldly. God knows her name and she knows God's name specifically father. And that speaks to an intimacy that for which she was made, but for which she had, but which she had never experienced. And she could never have experienced without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And friends, what I'm trying to tell you is that that's the joy of adoption. And that's the joy of Easter. Our adoption was arranged when Jesus entered the hell of our darkness and defeated it by his suffering. And our adoption was announced when Jesus rose from the dead and he said, my father's now going to be your father. Do you want him to be your father? But I actually got ahead of myself because the, the adoption needs to be extended. Look at the story again. Jesus commissions Mary to share the good news with other disciples. Now, just pause everybody and consider this for a minute. This is the very beginning of Christianity. Like this is, this is the very, very first scene. Mary was the first person to bear the news of Easter. Just consider that. Mary was the first person to tell others that Jesus was risen from the dead and that his resurrection means that the adoption is available to everyone who will receive it. Mary was the one who told all the other famous disciples like Peter and John and other folks about that Jesus was risen from the dead. Or the early Christians used to call Mary the apostle. 
to the apostles. And Mary obeys because um, when you're adopted through Jesus, obedience stops being rule keeping and it becomes the joyful response to being loved by the father. And so she obeyed, she went and she told, tells the disciples about the resurrection and the adoption on offer and, and they, they don't get it. But that's a different story. But eventually they did. And those disciples, along with Mary, went and told other people. And for the last 2,000 years, people from widely divergent cultures and widely divergent historical eras, from widely divergent social locations within each society, have heard the offer of adoption through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as they heard the offer of adoption, they've sensed and heard God calling them by name. And they have found themselves adopted by God and discovered it to be the unexpected but perfect fulfillment of their deepest desires. And that is why we're here right now. Did you know, did you, did you know why you came to church? That's why. And that adoption's on offer now. Jesus died and rose again for your adoption. And one of the things that that means is that Christianity is not just about rule keeping. It's not just about like living, living a lovely life. Um, Christianity is a story about a God who gave all that he is for you, that he became human in Jesus Christ, that he died under the weight of evil in order to destroy its power, and that he rose from the dead, proving the victory of his death. And he says to me, would you like to be adopted into my family because that's on offer? And everything's arranged. And Christianity, the whole Christian life, is about saying yes to that offer and then living the whole of your life responding to that undeserved but overflowing affection of God as your father. And just like for Mary, it changes every aspect of who we are. It changes our identity, our ethics. It, and it pierces through the darkness and animates our lives with an undefeatable joy that will carry on for all eternity. And we're going to baptize in just a few minutes. And baptism is the adoption ceremony. Jesus is calling three candidates by name. And as they're baptized into Christ, we're asking God to give them the victory of Jesus' death and the privilege of Jesus' sonship. And so what that means for all the rest of us here is I, I want to say this. On this Easter, for some of us, Jesus wants to remind you. And to some of us, Jesus wants to call you by name. For some of us, Jesus wants to remind you of the privilege of your adoption. Because if you belong to Jesus, then you do not belong to the darkness. And the darkness does not define you, even if it feels like it does right now or in this last season of your life. But if you belong to Jesus, you're an adopted child of the Father. And Jesus wants you to remember who he made you to be. And he wants you to hear him call you by name. And he wants that to bring forth the response of saying to God, Father. And for others, he wants to call you by name for the first time. Jesus wants to hear you call your name. And as he does, you'll find yourself wanting to respond to him. And he will apply all the benefits of his victory to your life. And he'll make you a beneficiary 
of eternal privilege that right now you can't even imagine. But the only hint of it that you can find is somewhere deep down in your deepest desires. And all of us have these deep desires and we try to satisfy those desires in here and there and it's never quite enough. It's like water falling through the fingers. But Jesus says your deepest desires were designed to be satisfied in an intimacy with God as your father. And until you taste that intimacy, nothing else will satisfy. So listen to Jesus call you by name today. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.